All right, you guys ready? Let's get rolling this. Okay, dark room. Excited about this series, been thinking about it for quite a while, uh, been carrying it with me, been processing it, and, and really going through some dark experiences to even get to this place. And I want to share with you about this, but we're going to start by, by thinking about photography. I love photography. Does anybody else love photography? I love the arts. I, I love, it's so much fun, paintings. I've always had an appreciation for the arts. Came from Podunk County, Culpeper, Virginia, when the thing they love is like trees and cutting them down and selling wood in the city, okay? But I've always been that guy that loved the arts. And, and photography is one of those things that I've always enjoyed. I've always liked it because it's something so cool where somebody captures an image, okay, and it's on film. Let's go way back, okay? We know there's a preference here. Some folks love digital. Some folks love film. The thing about digital, there will always be a pixel, right? Always a pixel, but film is different. It's, it's different. It's a different process altogether, and even the way that it is processed. And it's one of these, I think now even more so, a more rare art form, if you will, of uh, photography. Now, digital is great. It's beautiful. I get it. But there's these purists. There's these folks that think, man, the things you can do, and it's so true, the things you can do with film are way different than you can ever do in Photoshop with digital, right? There's processes. There's things like that. But during these conversations that we're talking about dark rooms, we're going to go to some places that you have found yourself in before or may find yourself in as you continue on this journey of your faith. And the dark room is kind of like a place of also personal development, but almost like a waiting room in a way. Any of you guys hate waiting rooms? I do too. I want walk-through rooms. I don't want waiting rooms. I want to walk through the room to where I need to go, okay? I hate the waiting room aspect. But you think about dark rooms too in this place that, that life is developed, beauty is developed here, but it's not easy when you're in it, okay? It's not easy when you're in it. And we're talking about film, but we're also talking about something else called the human experience, us. God's idea and this understanding that God from the beginning of time has had a picture that he wants to develop within your life. He's had a goal for you. He's looked at you. He's created. He's captured this masterpiece called you, and he's wanted to develop it your whole life. But since the beginning, there's always been someone else that wanted to ruin it, wanted to ruin the process, wanted to totally make the negative a super negative, never to be developed into something positive and beautiful. Can I be honest with you guys? Did you know I'm a human, by the way? Not a superhuman, like super preacher. No, not by, whoo, most Mondays I'm like, I'm out. You know, I'm so tired. I want to just like go on a long journey and not come back. That's life, right? Do you ever get that way after a long week? You're like, but it's only one day. <laughs> That's a preacher lie, okay? It's not just one day. But sometimes you just get so tired, so worn out, so just whooped with life. And it's not, it's just all of us, different stuff. If it's papers that are due, you got to run your kids from here and there. You got to pay this bill. You got to do that. You get tired, you get weary, and you find yourself in a dark room. About the last year, six months, it intensified more, even more to the last three months. I found myself in that dark room, found myself in a place where nobody else I felt like could understand what I was walking through because it's my experience, found myself in a place where I was questioning God on stuff and wondering about this and asking him, was it even worth it? Why am I here? All, you know, does this sound like your human experience as well? Okay. But in that moment, I feel like God has done something so sweet and has developed something in me that would not have happened unless I was in that dark room. And the thing is, God loves us so much that he allows us to be placed in places that will help develop the picture that he has for our lives. You have kids? Anybody have kids? You ever tell them to stop running? 
and they keep running, stop. You're going you're gonna to hurt yourself. Stop. Hey, you're going to hurt yourself. Stop. <laughs> Told you. I can't stop you from running. I can tell you to stop and tell you what's going to happen, but you're still going to run. Because I love you so much, you're going to catch a boo-boo here and there and learn from it. God allows us to be in dark places because he is developing light. He is developing something in us that we would not get otherwise because he loves us that much. You're like, that doesn't sound right, but it's true. I found myself questioning, really, not like my faith in him where I'm just like, I'm done. I don't even believe anymore. I don't even, but just belief that things can turn out better. Have you ever found yourself there? Because it's so hard for me sometimes to see beyond instances and circumstances because I'm like a half-empty versus a half-full guy. We call that being practical, don't we, half-empty people? We call that being a realist. Other people are like, you're a Debbie Downer, and we don't want you at our party, okay? I'm like, get thee behind me, Satan, okay? But you know what I'm saying with this. Sometimes it's hard to see beyond it, and it's hard to continue to believe. What is belief? If we were to define belief, and you'll see a progression here that I want us to talk about until we get to what we're going to talk about today in just a few moments. Belief is something believed, an opinion or conviction, okay? Like the earth is flat, something like that. Confidence in the truth or existence of something not immediately susceptible to rigorous proof, okay? Like uh, an unworthy belief or something like that. Confidence, faith, trust, like a child's belief in his parents. You know what I'm saying? A religious tenet or tenets, religious creed or faith. That's a belief. And I found myself at that place and okay, but then transitioning to a place of what's called unbelief. The state or quality of not believing, okay, or skepticism, especially in matters of doctrine or religious faith. This is where the enemy does his best work. Look at his debut on earth. He comes into the garden, was the first thing he said? Did God really say. He begins to make us skeptical of God's existence in our lives. He makes us question our beliefs and our faith in God. So you see belief that leads to unbelief, and then we see misbelief, an erroneous belief, something that is of error, a false opinion. And then all of a sudden, we get this idea in our mind that becomes an opinion, and then we have misbelief. And as misbelief goes untreated for too long, it leaves you at a place called disbelief. And that's the dark room we're in today, the dark room of disbelief. The inability or refusal to believe or to accept something as true. When we studied in a series called Fight, way back in the day now, we're only two years old, um, we did this series called Fight, and we learned about how the enemy literally takes the same beaten path every time to the place in your mind that he gets you. Think about it. Step back from any result, end result, anything that you have found yourself in, any situation, any dark room, and you'll go back to the same place. Paul makes that understanding that back to the same place of where the enemy crept into your mind. That's why we call, have the helmet of salvation to protect our minds, to protect our heads so that he doesn't have that pathway in anymore. He hits something that he bounces off of, right? Disbelief is that thing. Dis is a Latin prefix that means to put asunder, to tear away, to tear belief from your life, to rip it from you. That's why disbelief is such a major darkroom issue. Unbelief is okay. That's one thing. Misbelief, but disbelief? is a whole different 
ball game. Disbelief is when you find you cannot get your mind past it. Do you ever feel that way? You have just been so put asunder and so torn apart that you can't find your way back to belief. You just cannot wrap your mind around it. That's where we find ourselves. That's where I found myself. And thank God I went there because of what he brought out of it. The darkroom experience, the point of disbelief. There's a story in the life of Jesus and his ministry that I think would really uh, succinctly define this understanding of disbelief in one's life and gives us light and hope as we look forward. And it's found in the gospels, which means good news. I don't know about you guys, but I love good news. That's about the only good news you got is the Bible right now, okay? It doesn't matter what your favorite news station is. That's about the only good news you got, okay? Uh, don't even look at your financial statements anymore, okay? That's all a roller coaster, okay? That's an amusement park for you for free, all right? But we see a situation, a dark room developing in the life of someone, and then we, we just jump right into this place, and we're right there with them. So I want to set it up a little bit so you can see who it is and also see who uh, wrote about this story. A guy named Mark wrote the book. He was not an eyewitness to Jesus' ministry. He was somebody that used to travel with Paul and do his own thing as well. He was on his own journeys, and this was someone that had seen the good news change lives across the globe, okay? He was someone that was that Judea Samaria, that rest of the concentric circles that Jesus said where the gospel would go. He was a part of that. And he wrote this story so that it could encourage us today. He wanted to emphasize the person of Jesus, so important. The person of Jesus, his work, what he did, and what he taught. Because he knew that if we had these things in our heart and our minds, it could change belief, okay, excuse me, disbelief back to belief. Very important, okay? So let me give you the context before we jump into the dark room of someone's life that you'll hear about in just a moment. So Jesus had been doing ministry in Galilee, north of Jerusalem to the west of Capernaum. He was this guy that was going around and taking care of people's needs, healing folks, setting them free, casting out demons into pigs. It was all kinds of wild stuff. If you want to have fun, just sit home one night, read the Bible or listen to it even on your Bible app, close your eyes and envision it all happening. It's pretty wild, okay? Just be careful of Song of Songs, okay? All right. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're like, I thought relationships was over. It's still there. So we see Jesus finishing with this on one side of the sea. And whenever Jesus did stuff, people always crowded around to see what he was doing. Jesus wasn't someone that said, hey, I'm going to call up Billy Graham and we're going to set up a 10,000 person. Um, it's going to be amazing. You wait till you see this. This is, um, it's going to be, no, Jesus just did it. He didn't need a crusade. He was Christ that did his work and people followed. It might be a slight blueprint to your life, just saying, but we'll talk about that later. But Jesus had been doing amazing things and people were following him. And when I think about Jesus in this moment, I'm thinking, man, he must've been tired. I know he's hundred percent God, hundred percent man, but that hundred percent man probably wanted to get rid of some people sometimes. You got these 12 disciples that can be idiots all right, they're just a bunch of guys. Ladies say, amen. Uh, men couldn't have changed that much, <laughs> you know? And you think about what he had to deal with, and people always follow him, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. He's like, I'm tired, you know? So he gets on a boat thinking he could be alone, go across some water, gets to the other side. What does he find? A crowd, more people. 
He finds someone. Oh my, I, I envision as soon as he gets off the boat, the boat, <laughs> vote for Jesus. He gets off the boat. <laughs> He's not coming back to run for president. Just want to let you know. <laughs> so we'll be 2020 with him. It'll be great. You'll get it later. I'm just kidding. You see Jesus jump off the boat right away. You see this guy, Jarius, come over. Jarius, a synagogue ruler, you know what I mean? Voted in by the people. Basically a pastor of the time, if you will, of a Jewish synagogue. Someone that led worship services. Someone that did the teaching throughout the week. Someone that took care of the facility. Sounds like he's a church planner, okay? You see this guy that is there, and all you see is him just kneeling at Jesus' feet. Jesus, my daughter is dying. My daughter is dying, okay? And Jesus right away begins to act and says, hey, Jairus, I'll go with you. I will go with you to the house. I'll walk with you. As they're walking along, getting ready to go care for this matter, a woman with an issue of blood, she had been bleeding for 12 years, okay? And it wasn't from her finger. All right. So this issue of blood with her made her unclean so that she could not be around other people. Okay. She made her so that she was a social outcast. She was detestable in this way. 12 long years. She struggled with this sickness, put all of her life savings into trying to figure out how to get better with nothing, no approved, nothing fixed, nothing better. This was her last ditch effort running after Jesus. If I can just touch his clothing, I can be healed. She did. She pushed through the crowd and you see Jarius walking with Jesus along and Jarius like, yeah, all right, let's go. Jesus, my daughter looks back. Jesus stops because he's like, who touched me? Somebody touched me. I felt power leave me, which means somebody was touched by my power, which means something happened. She was healed. But you see Jairus walking with Jesus, hoping to get to the place of his daughter getting better. Okay, remember, she was dying, which means she wasn't thriving. She was going downhill, not uphill. Things were getting worse. Every minute counted. And even the power that went out of him, would that have been the power that would have healed her? Maybe, I don't know. Would that, you see what I mean? There's so many things that you can think about when you see this scripture. Well, you see them arrive to the dark room you see them wake up in this moment, if you will, where Jesus, Jairus, and they're all standing there, and we hear this type of feedback come back. March, Mark 5, 35 through 43. Here's the dark room. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead. Imagine it. She's 12 years old. 12 years old. You think about Jairus and the way that he envisioned things to end up. Do you think he pictured in the beginning the, the snapshot that his daughter would be gone at 12? Do you think he envisioned, you know, as he's going to get help from Jesus, risking everything, being someone that was Jewish, talking to Jesus who was messing with the Jewish system, okay? Do you think this was a wise thing, bowing down, saying that Jesus was God's son in this way, risking everything, and then only for her just to die? Was that the healing that went for this lady? Was that mine? You see him in the dark room, right? A religious man gave his life to ministry in a dark room because God was trying to develop something in him. Your daughter is dead, they said, why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid. 
just believe. It's almost like Jesus, hi, Avery, grabs his face. You got to say their name first before you touch them. (laughs) But he's like, don't be afraid. Have faith. Hopefully my breath is good enough right now. I'm a little nervous. He's like, I'm getting a little red. Nice beard, handsome devil. But in that moment, everything's going on around him. He's still in a crowd. Picture it. All of you guys talking at once. And he's looking at him. He's like, listen, listen, look at me. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Just believe. In that moment, you wonder if he looked back and saw that woman who for 12 years was unhealthy versus his little girl that for all these years, the 12 were healthy. And then she finds herself at death and the other lady finds, just believe, look, you think it was by chance that I healed her on the way? Come on now, just believe, okay? He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. He was careful. You'll hear about this more in just a bit. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw the commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He saw the commotion as if a whole nother crowd was going crazy. And they were wailing and commotion. See, the thing is this. There were professional mourners in this time. Did you know that? People, they got paid to be a screamer. That's what people in bands try to do to make money. Can I get paid for this? You're like, nah, wrong culture, bro. No good. But you see them showing up here. And Jesus already said, just believe. Don't be afraid. And people were planning for her to die. Think about it. They were waiting for it. They called the mourners in. I got you on contract, okay? When the time comes, go. And when Jarius comes back, he's going to see that you guys really love him and care for him by the way that you mourn, that you don't believe in what God can do. Okay? Isn't it cool to hear scripture like this? You're like, yeah, nobody ever does that. You can do this, I swear. The child is not dead but asleep. He went to them and said, why all this commotion and wailing? True Jesus fashion, the child is not dead but asleep. And they laughed at him. Jesus, she's clearly dead. Pick up her arm and see what happens. Talk to her and see what happens. But wait when he actually does. They laughed at him after he put them all out. I love this. You see Jesus like one of those temple experiences. He's like, wow, kicking them all out. Wouldn't that be fun to watch? You thought Jesus was like, I love you. I love you. I love you. You know what I'm saying? Karate artery Jesus. Okay, that's what I picture. He took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went into where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha Koam, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Aramaic, taking it old school, okay? Immediately, not three days later, immediately, not 15 minutes, immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. They put it in here on purpose. A couple things connected there, right? At this, they were completely astonished. Who was in the room? Not all the crowd wailing, right? We'll talk about that in just a second. Completely astonished. And I love this. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. 
quick things that I want to share with you. I love to share background and really steep these things, but some key points I'd love for you to write down that we glean from this scripture. The number one thing is this, believe Jesus over the bad news. Believe Jesus over, she's dead. No, don't be afraid. Listen to me, believe. Don't listen to the bad news. You will always have the bad news bearers around you, right? Just talk to anybody. Ask them about the weather. Ah, it's terrible. You're in Morgantown. Of course it is. You get like 150 days of sunlight. Welcome. Didn't know that before we planted here. Should have done my research. Just kidding. Believe Jesus over the bad news. Listen, your daughter, she's not dead. She's alive. Think about it. Second thing, because I want us to have time to worship at the end. Empty the house of unbelief. Empty the house of unbelief. Again, you see Jesus jumping up with the crane thing. He's like, karate kid, right? No, get out. You know it is so easy to fill a place with people that don't believe the same you do. It is so hard to fill your life with people that believe the same way you do. That anything can happen that anything is possible, that God is the God of everything, every dark room you ever find yourself in. We got to empty the house of unbelief. Why all this commotion and wailing? Who did Jesus take in there with him? The disciples he knew who would believe and the parents. Everybody else, you're out. You're out. I hate to say this, but you may have to file some papers for some friendship divorces because some people are never going to be beneficial to you. I know you, listen, we're here to help people through stuff, okay? But there's some people that will straight suck you dry of any energy and life that you have. They take and take all the air out of the room. You got to be careful. If you're that person, we'll talk about that later. Okay. Empty the house of unbelief. Third is this, let Jesus speak to the situation. Let Jesus Not the person that's crying out and wailing over somebody who's died, but somebody who can bring life. How did Jesus respond? Little girl, I say to you, get up. Now, did you see it was with an exclamation mark? So you picture like, get up off that thing. You know what I'm saying? Like, (laughs) I'm telling you, it can be fun. Jesus is like, get up, get up. I wonder if he did it loudly so people outside could hear. Because old girl got up. She wasn't down anymore. She was alive, not dead, because Jesus spoke to the situation. She got up. Oh, I just pictured James. Get up, old man. I wish we had that. I'm sure there's like some sort of GIF file for that. Okay. At this, they were completely astonished, which led to this, the fourth thing, cherish Jesus in your heart. Like, what does that mean? He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. Two things here. He said, look, what happened in this room is so intimate and so amazing that nobody's going to understand, number one, but also I don't want to cause a commotion. Things are going to get rough for me anyways. Don't spread anymore. Why? Because Jairus had a platform to praise God, didn't he? He was a leader of the synagogue. He was someone that had a platform every week who taught people things to teach about the healing 
Jesus. He had an opportunity. But why do you think Jesus said this to him? He was creating this intimate moment that Jairus could go back to in his life. A place at which he knew that God provided. Let me tell you about the dark room for my life over the last six, three months even more specifically. I found my, put myself at a place really of, of, of disbelief, not being able to get past some things. You know, I'm not tooting horns or anything like that, but it's been a sacrifice, right? It's been a sacrifice for our lives. It has been the most rich, amazing experience ever, you know, to do this and to leave and blah, blah, blah. But it's been hard. And when you look at pictures like that time our staff was at the house, remember I told you about that? And they're like, when was that picture? I'm like, oh, two years ago. They're like, whoa, <laughs> you look old. <laughs> it's true. But I found myself in this dark room thinking nobody understood, frustrated. In this time, though, God has developed something so intimate. And a conversation I had with him months ago, you know, got rid of a car, been driving an old pickup, which I love, never want to get rid of it. But everything's starting to fall apart, just like this chassis, okay? And everything, just windows not working, that's broken, that's dead. You go over a bump, you're like, am I going to die? You know, <laughs> riding three kids across the front, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's the 80s again, and it's okay. And it's like, no, the truck's from the 80s. Don't do it now. You'll go to jail, okay? But I found myself in this place, and I felt God even say, hey, look, man, I know you, you want a car and stuff like that. I'll take care of it. And I found myself disbelieving that it would actually happen, making appropriation, trying to work things out and stuff like that, right? And here, just a couple of days ago, okay, was looking for a vehicle, all right, and found one that we wanted to get, was going to wait for a tax return to make it happen, all this stuff, thank God for a tax return, and then was going to make it happen, and then I get a call, say, hey, just want to let you know that someone has purchased the car for you and you get to have it for free. <laughs> oh, I was like, I was bawling. I already get emotional again thinking about it. <laughs> you know, lip quivering and stuff. And it's like, yeah, it was awesome. But I, listen, guys, I was at disbelief. And I had to get back to the place of belief, knowing that God is sovereign and they love me so much. That even the small things like that, he would take care of. Seemingly insignificant, but very significant to me. Very significant. So again, I don't go to jail for riding my kids across the front of a truck. It just yeah. Pastor goes to jail, not for preaching the gospel, but for stupidity. Okay? <laughs> this moment created a cherished experience between God and I. Okay? I'm sharing it with you, yes, because it's so important that I learned a lesson from it. That he wants to teach you. He wants you to cherish this relationship. He wants to do things in your lives that's just for you, and it doesn't happen until you get in the dark room. We hate it. We want digital. We want one-hour photo. We want it right now. But sometimes it takes a dark room to develop what he really wants in your life, especially to develop belief again. Are you with me? It's hard. Our team's going to come forward, and we're going to conclude. If you have to go pick up kids and stuff like that, I totally get it. We love you. But the only thing outside of reading the word that has gotten me through dark room experiences is worship with God, is worship. And you get a taste of that on Sundays. But you know what I have to do? I go in my other dark room called the bathroom where kids don't come in and talk to you ever, and I take a shower. The shower is the most glorious thing in the world, okay? And what I do is I take a little Bluetooth speaker, and I put it right up on top of a shelf, right? Are you with me? It's cute. 
throw in some worship music so I can't hear anybody talking, lock the door. Sound like I should just like get some flowers and some bubbles or something. I just need a tub. Just need a soaking tub. No, but this <laughs> worship in those moments has gotten me through it. And that's why we want to worship today. It's so important. So important because any dark room, God will fill with the right light to develop what he wants for you through moments with him. But you got to get with him. It's okay to be in pain. Know that he'll bring you through it. That's the key. He is the great physician. He has everything in his hands to heal you. You just got to let him get in there with you. He will develop this thing with the right solution, right light. That red light's on purpose because certain lights that would, be, would expose would make a negative come out the wrong way if the wrong color light is in the dark room with it. He knows exactly. It's funny, it's red too. <laughs> we'll get to that. But the thing is, it's, it's amazing that he uses these places to develop us into the people that he's always desired for us to be, but we just got to believe again. You probably like, you don't even know what I've been through. I don't. You know what I've been through. But I do. And in my dark room, he has developed my faith. Time and time again, even with my disbelief, unbelief, misbelief, he's helped me to believe again. It's, it's a cycle sometimes. But I come back to the dark room to the place where he can help me believe again, and it's only through him. Trust in the Lord, Proverbs 3, 5 through 6, and lean not on your own understanding, but submit to him, and he will make your path straight. Paraphrased. 1 Peter 2, 9, understanding who you are as a chosen people, a royal priesthood, one of my favorite scriptures, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful, marvelous, if you will, light, understanding who you are and that you are the light of the world, Matthew 5, 14 through 16. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand that gives light to everyone in the house. Your dark room will bring light to everybody. In the same way, let your light so shine for others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven.